Will you please pray with me? Wonderful God, we thank you for our life today, that we have opened our eyes and we have another opportunity to love and be loved. And we pray, God, in this gathering that our hearts will be open to your spirit and that we might sense that you have a word for us. And may we take that word in and let it grow. And we ask all of these things in your name. Amen. I can remember as a little girl, my mom had a necklace that her mother had given her. And you know how it is, maybe you remember when you were little and your mom would hold you and you would play with maybe a necklace that she had on or some earrings that hung and dangled. I have such memories of that necklace and not just because of the necklace itself, but because I was in my mom's lap. But this necklace was uh, so unique. It was a little tiny glass globe about the size of a pea. And in the center was this tiny, tiny little speck. And I was so intrigued at how that little speck could just be floating in the middle of that little glass globe. My mom told me that it was a mustard seed in the middle of that little glass globe. I didn't really understand the significance of that for a long time. But when I went into the ministry, my mom, who is, by the way, still alive and vital and wonderful, but when I went into the ministry, my mom passed that necklace on to me. And so now I have that little glass globe with the speck in it to remind me of the mustard seed. The parables can be very personal. They also have become somewhat universal Even those who have no affiliation or affection with Christianity have heard of the prodigal son or the good Samaritan. It's used quite often in literature and other works. And a lot of people find wisdom within the stories. But it's important for us as Christians to remember that these stories were never meant to be or confused with fables. They didn't tie up neatly at the end as you'll come to any parable and see with, with this wording. And the moral of the story is, and just insert whatever it is you want in there, they were never intended to be morality tales. The focus was never intended to be on us, on how we are to regard our own lives, on how we can be a better person. Maybe the outcome in God's generosity is that we feel inspired in that way, but they had a deeper meaning. In a world that has become more polarized and people more hateful, a world that tolerates genocide but not long lines at the grocery store, a world where the poorest of the poor are divided by a single street from the richest of the rich, these parables have something to say to all of us who are fearful about the future, just as they did to those very first hearers. Listen to the word of the Lord. Listen to these two parables from Luke 13. He said, therefore, meaning Jesus, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what should I compare it? It is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in the garden. It grew and became a tree and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, 
To what should I compare the kingdom of God? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed with three measures of flour until all of it was leavened. This is the word of the Lord. So two hikers are walking through the woods and they spotted a vicious looking bear. The first hiker immediately sat down and began pulling out of his backpack a pair of running shoes. And the other hiker just looked at him in surprise and said, what are you doing? You're never going to be able to outrun that bear. And the other hiker looked at him and said, oh, I don't have to outrun the bear, just you. (laughs) In a sense, parables are like jokes because they're designed to catch us off guard. They're designed to elicit an immediate response. Parables capture the listener and make us participants in it overturning sometimes our entire worldview and leading us to call into question our most basic values. If a parable has to be explained, it loses much of its force, just as a joke does when someone doesn't get it and needs an explanation. I have a friend whose second language is English, and she is very articulate and I think has a wonderful vocabulary, but there's a lot that she doesn't get especially jokes. The other day, I told her two fantastic jokes. I mean, fabulous jokes. And she laughed and laughed, and then I said, do you get them? And she said, no. (laughs) I thought that was so funny, but she thought it was funny because I was laughing, I guess. So I had to go back and try to explain what this meant and what that meant, and and I said, oh, never mind. Because it's not funny anymore when you have to explain it. The joke is meant to catch you off guard and and be a little twist in the end that you smile and laugh at. If a parable has to be explained, it loses much of its force, just as a joke does. For this reason, we are somewhat at a disadvantage when it comes to looking at the parables. Unlike the original hearers who usually understand the context and points of reference in the parables, we just often miss the point. A joke requires context. You need to understand what's going on around, what's, what's popular in that time and stage. For example, if I were in Paris meeting up with some friends and I let them know that I had an incredible joke to tell them. Now, they had never lived in the United States. They were from France. And I said, why did the UCLA Bruins eat cereal straight from the box? And they would say, I don't know why. And I'd say, (laughs) they choke whenever they get near a bowl, right? (laughs) Now, I apologize to the Bruins fans here. I'm not a football, I think that's football. I'm not a football person. (laughs) I don't quite get it. And I know that people can be very impassioned about that. So that was not a political statement. (laughs) But you see, it wouldn't make any sense to them because they're not from this context. And that's how a parable is at times as well. Of course, the hearers can discover the point by understanding the cultural and literary context of the parable, but don't you agree the element of surprise is gone? The unexpected twist which catches us off guard is gone. So a lot of the parables, the prodigal son and um, these two parables and so many other parables, we, we understand, but we don't quite get them. 
It's kind of like my friend with the second language. But there is a great value in studying the parables because they illustrate a central message of Jesus in language, in any language, any person of any position, education or social stature can understand and relate to them. And they demand a crucial response from us just as they did from those who first heard them. But in order to gain the greatest benefit from the parables, we have to understand what they are and how they function. C.H. Dodd, who is a 19th century theologian, I think provided the most beautiful definition of a parable. He said this, at its simplest, the parable is a metaphor or a simile drawn from nature or common life. And here's the line I love the most. Arresting the hearer by its vividness or strangeness and leaving the mind in sufficient doubt about its precise application to tease it into active thought. In other words, Jesus is telling parables, one, so that people could understand them. Common people, illiterate people, people of the field. So one, so that they could understand them. And two, so that they could begin to think theologically. They could begin to think about the ways of God and the ways of this kingdom, the ways of this new narrative coming out of the person of Christ. In our parables today, the mustard seed and the leaven, Jesus is describing one reality by likening it to another reality. In other words, he took tangible entities such as seeds and leaven and householders and told us that there is an unseen reality, the kingdom of God, which is in some way like the leaven and the seed. We may suppose that Jesus chose to describe the kingdom by comparing it to a seed and yeast because one single feature of seed and yeast attracted his attention. What was it about the seed? What was it about leaven that caused Jesus to choose those to compare to the kingdom? I'm teaching a parables class on Tuesday evening, and when I asked this question, well, the students, who could be the teachers, had so many great ideas about what it was about leaven and seed that attracted Jesus' attention. And perhaps some of the thoughts that they had might occur to you. Why the mustard seed? Why leaven? Some of their responses were, both are common to the original hearers, so everybody could understand. Both of them permeate and spread in the ground and in the flower. Both of them transform themselves and everything around it into something brand new. Both have growth or a as a standout characteristic. Both are alive and active. Both are hidden within the seed in the ground, the leaven in the flower. And both of them carry the future within itself. And that's how comparison works. We see in one thing a striking similarity to a major aspect in another thing. A person planted one mustard seed, and it grew into a huge bush, strong enough that birds could build a nest on its branches. 
And a bread maker puts a pinch of yeast into a much greater amount of flour. Once the yeast has permeated the flour, the leavened loaf is baked into bread and feeds. What Jesus wants us to know is that the kingdom of God's righteousness works in a way similar to that seed and that yeast. There is an organic, not fussy, character of the seed and the leaven. The kingdom of God works in a slow and steady way, but it's pervasive. The seed and the yeast are activated by something beyond those handling it. After all, the sower and the baker have no power to make the seed grow or make the yeast raise. The ancient hearer of Jesus' time, and this is important to understand, these ancient hearers were illiterate, oppressed, enslaved, brutalized, living in stark poverty, ruled by people who did not regard them as human. So what is this word that Jesus brings to them about the kingdom? The two parables draw upon two very common experiences. A man plants a mustard seed. A woman puts leaven in flour. Both men and women feel at home in these images. All are welcome into this parable. And do not be discouraged over what seems to be a lack of divine intervention or success. Why don't you do something, God? Can you imagine that they were saying the same thing, that we hear that rhetoric in ourselves and in those around us even today? Both perform small acts that have expansive consequences. Jesus says, this is the way the kingdom is. Don't be discouraged. Do not be overwhelmed by what appears to be the power of evil in the world. Jesus was telling them then and telling us now, God is at work. Just as a seed and leaven carried their futures within them, so discern the act and do not be depressed by the opposition or by the immensity of our tasks as the body of Christ. And remember, Jesus says this, do not be discouraged, they're not winning. Do not be depressed or overwhelmed. And it's true that Jerusalem and death lay ahead for Jesus. But God is at work, is the message of the parable. And how do we know that? How can we tell? with our eyes and ears glued to the television, the radio, the newspaper, those of us who want to talk only about the terrible things that are happening in the world, we do not remember nor do we pay attention to the fact that over 2,000 years ago, a little-known rabbi named Jesus invited 12 illiterate fishermen to follow him. And do you know that world statistics tell us today that there are now 2.18 billion 
Christians worldwide? 2.18 billion Christians. Friends, that's a whole lot of seeds. And that's a whole lot of leaven. And all of those seeds and all of that leaven are permeating and filling up the world. And behind every negative story, there will be 10 stories of sacrifice and love and service. And behind every negative story will be a person like you, maybe it is you, who will bring hope to the hopeless, who will feed the hungry, who will visit those in prison, who will clothe the naked, and who will heal the sick. Behind every story of the human capacity for brutality lies 10 stories of the human capacity for love, the human capacity to lift up, the human capacity to surround brokenness and bring healing. Honestly, you can hardly turn around on the planet without running into the kingdom, the kingdom mindset the kingdom person. I remember um, a few years ago, I went to Spain for a month, just on my own, to do a immer Spanish immersion class. And I was in the middle of Madrid. I lived at a, a little house outside of Madrid and took the metro into the center where the school was every day. One day I was at the school and a man came in and he had been bicycling through Spain. He started talking about where he was from. He said to me, oh, I'm from a small town, a very small farming town in California. I'm sure you've never heard of it. And I said, well, what is it? And he said, Holtville. And I said, the carrot capital of the world? <laughs> he said, yeah, how did you know that? And I said, I was born like 12 miles from there in Brawley. He goes, Brawley, the home of the Wildcats? <laughs> yes. Out of all the people in all the gin joints of the world, here we met each other in Madrid, Spain, at that particular moment in time, having grown up 12 miles apart. Is it any wonder that the seed and the leaven that has 2.18 billion people in the world is everywhere we go? And, by the way, everywhere we go, we are the leaven, we are the seed. Is it any wonder that Jesus said, do not be depressed, do not look at the negative and hold on to that as though it were God. Do not be discouraged, God is at work. The seed and the leaven remind us that every day the kingdom is at work, penetrating the present with God's future in, with, and under the unjust structures of the world. Divine justice is at work. Is that not the good news? Do we not have cause to celebrate? Do we have not cause to hang on to hope and to deliver people from the bondage of their fears? To say to another, God is at work. How do we know? Not only because of 2.18 billion Christians, but because of each other. Why have we gathered here today to sing, to pray, to hear the word, 
to give of our tithes and gifts and offering? Why have we come in this wonderful endeavor of worship? But because we have hope. In the, old, in the words of that old song, because he lives, I have hope for tomorrow. Because he lives, I have hope to the, for tomorrow. The better future that God has for us is already invading and permeating the structures of this present world. That's the good news. Think of the mustard seed and the leaven, my friends, and be hopeful. Be inspired. You are a participant. You're not an outsider. For you have participated in small acts that will affect lives far beyond this time and place. You are among the beloved, those who have been called to be hopeful, to be the seed and the leaven for a hurting world. Thanks be to God.